You're listening to New City's Sermon Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep in God's Word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of His kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Uh, We're continuing our series in Advent, which is a word, a Latin word that, that means an appearance, a coming, that Jesus during this season has appeared on the scene. And last week, we, we kind of took a non-traditional approach. We set aside the nostalgia of Christmas. Thank you. We set aside the nostalgia of Christmas and looked at what it really means to be a broken person living in a broken world and how Jesus doesn't come to us as we should be, but as who we really are, as broken people who are messed up and living in a broken world. And, and this week, we're going to kind of take another non-traditional look at Advent, we're going to be looking in the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature, which means it has these sweeping images and it's highly dramatic. And at times it can actually be kind of frightening to read because of the images that are presented. Um, it's not always about the end of the world, but it is always about world changing stuff. Revelation means revealing. We, we get to see behind the scenes what's happening. And this revealing took place to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos. And I'll be honest with you, it's kind of a weird passage. It's a little bit of a weird passage because when we think about Christmas, we think about Jesus in the manger in Bethlehem on a cold night with no room in the end and the animals are surrounding him and the shepherds are worshiping him and then the wise men come. And that's kind of the nice scene that we are exposed to as we look uh, in the Gospels. But here in this picture in Revelation, it's a little bit frightening. Jesus is about to be born, but instead of people waiting there to worship him, there's a red dragon awaiting his birth, awaiting to devour him. So I I just want to give you a preview. It's kind of disturbing. And I know you're like, Pastor John, you just said bring friends on Christmas Eve. You're not going to be preaching about red dragons on Christmas Eve. No, I will not. I'm going to get it out of the way now. Next week, we're going to really look at Luke 2 in the Gospels, and then on Christmas Eve, we'll, we'll do the more traditional look at Christ's birth. But I think today, um, as we look at this passage in Revelation 12, it will actually help you deeply with your struggles and the battles that you face every day. Next week, it's baby Jesus in the manger, but today it is the great battle, baby Jesus and the dragon. So let's read from Revelation 12 in God's Word. Let me pray first, and then we'll read. Lord Jesus, we do pray that you would be present with us, that you would be shaping us and molding us, that you would be transforming the way we think and and the things that we love in order that we might be your representatives here in this city and in this world. We, We pray for deep encouragement today. I know many of us are struggling to get up in the morning. Many of us are struggling to pay our bills. And life often feels like a battle every day. And so I pray that as we look at this text, that you would encourage us, Jesus, with who you are and the victory that we have in you. And all God's people said, amen. Revelation 12, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great 
fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its head were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, a male, who was going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. This is the word of God. You say thanks be to God. There you go. That's all right. I didn't warn you. Life is always a battle. Life is always a battle. That's not all it is, but the battle is always there. Do you feel that? Do you experience the battle every day? Do you struggle? Because I think life is pretty challenging. Every day I face trials and difficulties and struggles, and I know every day you face them as well. Life is always a battle. That's not all it is, but the battle is always there. As followers of Jesus, we daily face temptations. There's something in our heart that says the best way to go is if you don't listen to Jesus and you don't follow Jesus and you just do your own thing. And daily we battle within our own hearts as we face temptations. But we also battle these internal accusations that come at us all the time. That voice that whispers to us, you are who you used to be. Your failures, your shame, your sin, that's your identity. That's who you are. And so every day we battle these internal accusations. But not only that, right now we're very much battling how we're perceived as Christians in this culture. There is mounting opposition towards the Christian faith for a variety of reasons. It's becoming... It's becoming harder and harder to say publicly, I follow Jesus. It's a battle to even say those words because you know, whether it's on the Twitter sphere or with your friends, you're going to receive kickback for just saying, I believe in Jesus. And acknowledging this battle at Christmas time can be super confusing. It can be very confusing because we celebrate at Christmas that Jesus came to bring peace 
on earth. So which is it? Is life always a battle? Or did Jesus come to bring peace on earth? That's why our passage today is actually really helpful. Because our passage tells us that life is always a battle because we live our lives in the midst of a great battle. Life is always a battle because you and I live our lives in the midst of a great battle, an ancient conflict, a great war drama between God and Satan, between good and evil. And you and I are right in the midst of that battle every day. We get up and we sip our coffee and a battle rages on. We hug our loved ones while a great conflict plays out. And whether we realize it or not, our lives take place in the midst of a combat zone. In the 2007 movie Transformers, at the very end of that movie, Optimus Prime is battling Megatron. Optimus Prime, the good guy, Megatron, the bad guy, and they're battling in the midst of this downtown city. And Megatron's goal is to destroy everyone and everything. And Optimus Prime's goal is to save everyone and save everything. And as they exchange blows, these giant robots knock each other into the city, and it just becomes a complete war zone. And people who are sipping their coffee and talking on their phones are now in the midst of a great battle. And this weird apocalyptic passage that we've read tells us that life always feels like a battle because it is. You and I live in the midst of a battle. And Christmas itself, the birth of baby Jesus in the manger where the shepherds came to worship, surrounded by animals, wrapped in swaddling clothes, that Christmas, Jesus' birth, what we celebrate at Advent, was the major move by God in his battle against Satan and evil. In verse 1 through 2, our passage starts by talking about a great sign or a symbol. And that symbol is a woman. And she is clothed with the sun and has the moon under her feet. That's apocalyptic language. We're like, what does that mean? But then it says that she has 12 stars on her head. And that 12 stars reveals something. It symbolizes something about this woman. The 12 stars represent the 12 tribes of Israel, meaning that this woman represents God's people, Israel. So this great sign of the woman is a symbol of God's beloved people on earth, the people who are carrying out his purposes. And the woman is pregnant. She's about to give birth. She's crying out in agony. And that represents Israel longing for the promised Messiah and hoping that he will come and bring salvation to broken people in a broken world. But then in th verse 3 and 4, there's this other great sign, this other symbol, a great fiery red dragon with multiple heads and multiple horns and multiple crowns. I'll tell you what, I, I don't mind the dragons in Revelation, but when they start having multiple heads and multiple ne necks and crowns, I get a little frightened. And this is a powerful dragon because its tail sweeps through the sky and knocks out a third of the stars. And this red dragon is a symbol of Satan, the devil, the enemy of God, who was kicked out of heaven when he rebelled against God 
and took a third of the angels with him. Now, I know some of you think that the existence of the devil, the existence of Satan is a fairy tale. I don't have much time to get into that today. Um, but if we don't believe in the existence of Satan, where does great evil come from then? I mean, how do we explain things like Pol Pot and the Holocaust and the insanity of 9-11? How do we explain those things if there isn't someone who is evil? And that's what the Bible teaches about, about Satan, that he does exist. But we often do not believe that he does. But perhaps the usual suspects movie has some wisdom when it says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Satan, the arch enemy of God, the author of evil and lies and deception and destruction, is thrown out of heaven before time begins. But then the passage, like apocalyptic literature does, it quickly fast forwards to this time when the woman is going to give birth. In verse 4b, it says, The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, it might devour the child. This is not the manger scene we're excited about. It's disturbing. It's violent. There's the dragon waiting in front of this woman, waiting, lurking, setting an ambush that it might devour her child, the Messiah, right when it's born. It reminds us that Jesus' birth seems like a peaceful event, but it's not. Jesus is born in the midst of a battle. Jesus is born in the midst of a battle because Jesus' birth, God is going to war against evil and the evil one. God was invading the kingdom of darkness with his beloved son, Jesus, who was the light of the world. And so Jesus is born into the midst of a battle because he came to confront the evil one and he came to defeat Satan. And so the dragon lurked and waited. That's why we read Genesis 3 at the very beginning of the service. That, that prediction that the offspring of Eve would do battle with the serpent. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Jesus came to do battle and destroy the work of Satan. And therefore, Satan hates Jesus. He hates Jesus. Satan wanted to do battle with Jesus and destroy him. And when Jesus was born, he entered into a battlefield. Matthew tells us that when King Herod found out that Jesus was born and that people were calling him king, King Herod had all the baby boys two years and under slaughtered. Jesus was born into a battle. But he was able to slip away with his mother. They, 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 they had a flight to Egypt where they escaped. And so Jesus was not defeated in that battle. But after Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan, where he does battle with Satan. And Satan himself tempts Jesus to get the things that God has told him to do, to do the things that God has told him to do, but to do it in Satan's way. To worship Satan so that Jesus could become king. And time after time there, Jesus does battle with Satan and resists him and wins that battle. But the dragon continued to try and derail God's plan. You remember when Peter finds out that Jesus must suffer and die. 
And that to become a king, he has to be hung on a cross. And Peter says, surely not. That, that can't happen to you, Lord. And in that moment, Jesus recognizes the, the scheme of the evil one, doing battle with him right there. And what does he say? Get behind me, Satan. Over and over and over, Satan's doing battle with Jesus because Jesus was born into a battle. Even up until the night before he goes to the cross, Jesus prays with intensity because he knows that he's about to go to the cross and suffer and die. And in his honesty, he says that he does not want to go through with it, but he will submit to the Father. And on that next day, he hangs on a cross and the sins of the world are placed on him. The wrath of God is poured on him. The innocent one, Jesus, dies a shameful death for you and me. And as he's placed in the tomb, it appears, finally, Satan has won. Sin has conquered. Death has defeated the Messiah. Satan is victorious. But you and I know that's not what happened at all. Jesus won the battle. Verse 5 tells us that the woman does give birth to a son who is going to be a king that rules all nations. And then it says quickly that the child is caught up to the throne of God. It's like he was born and then he's gone. And like apocalyptic literature does, is it fast forwards through the whole life of Jesus to say the dragon was waiting for him to do battle, but Jesus won the battle. He came as a baby. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for you and me. He was put in a tomb, but death could not hold him down. He was resurrected, and he ascended to the right hand of God, where he now rules and reigns in power. And he's just waiting for the moment where he will be revealed to the entire universe as king. What John sees is that Jesus has won the battle. The dragon was waiting, but now Jesus has defeated him and reigns and rules in heaven as the resurrected Lord of all the nations. And in verse 10, a celebration happens. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come. Because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. In other words, Jesus went up, he ascended, and in that was his victory, and Satan was thrown out. Satan lost. He was defeated. Jesus won the battle. Praise God, Jesus is the victorious king. Still leaves a big question. If Jesus won, why is life still a battle? If Jesus came to bring peace on earth, why am I not experiencing peace in my life? Why does it still feel like I'm in a battle? Because you are. Because you are in a battle. You're still in a battle every day when you get out of bed. You're still in a battle. Verse 12 tells us that the heavens rejoice, but woe to the earth and sea because the devil has come down to you with great fury. Go ahead and put it on verse 12. 
The devil has come down to you with great fury because he knows his time is short. Satan has been defeated by Jesus. And because you know Jesus and you're Jesus' beloved, Satan's taking it out on you. Satan hates Jesus, and if you have given your life to King Jesus, who rules and reigns and is victorious, then Satan hates you too. He has not won the battle, but he's taking out his loss on you, and the very fact that Satan hates you and wants to destroy you means that Jesus loves you, and he died for you, and his new resurrection life is for you. But Satan will take his loss out on you. I'm a child of the 80s, and I would say the best movie in the 80s was the 1985 blockbuster Karate Kid. And in that movie, Daniel LaRusso and Mr. Miyagi defeat Johnny Lawrence and the Cobra Kais and the sensei of the Cobra Kais, John Kreese. But after the tournament is over, what you see in the next movie is that though Kreese and the Cobra Kais are defeated, Sensei Kreese is out in the parking lot just breaking things and punching people and destroying things. He has been defeated, but he's taking his loss out on everyone else, which makes a good sequel. Though he has lost the battle, he is incredibly destructive. In fact, each of the following movies and even the YouTube series are mainly about him being a sore loser. He's defeated but he hasn't given up. And it's the same with Satan. He has lost to Jesus, but because you are united to Jesus by faith, he's taking his loss out on you as Jesus' church. Well, how does he do that? How does he cause destruction? Verse 9 tells us Satan's game is in his name. In other words, his name tells us what he does. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. First of all, he's the ancient serpent. That reminds us back of Genesis 3, 15, where he just twisted the word of God enough to deceive Adam and Eve and get them to disobey God. That's still part of who he is. He is the one who spins half-truths and and brings up questions in our mind. Did God really say, is God holding out on me? He's the ancient serpent, and he battles you with lies and half-truths. But he's also the Satan, the accuser. It's a courtroom term, uh, like a lawyer term of someone who accuses someone else. God is holy and just and perfect, and you and I are sinful and flawed and broken, and Satan is constantly accusing us before God, reminding God that we are separated from him because of our gap of sin. So he battles with accusations, but he's also the one who deceives the whole world. Satan is trying to lead all people of all nations, of all the world, down a path away from God. And he's super intelligent. His IQ is off the charts. And that's why he's able to be such a great deceiver. He will do anything he can do. 
He will use pleasure in this life to get people to walk away from God. He'll, he'll use the allure of power and the enticement of, if you just walk away from God, you will feel fully alive. But not only that, he's constantly using people who appear to be Christians and giving them great power and wisdom to deceive those in the church. I mean, you know that when signs and wonders are done, Jesus actually warns us that not all who do signs and wonders are of him. Because the enemy has given power to people to appear like they're leading people to Jesus when they're actually trying to lead people away from Jesus by their great power. We've seen it more recently where he'll use teachers who give a softer presentation of the Christian faith, a you-centered version of the Christian faith that doesn't align with the gospel. Where does that teaching come from? From the deceiver, Satan, who wants to pull people away from the good news of Jesus. He'll use people who, have to claim, who claim to have a special knowledge of things apart from God's word. And if you just follow them, they'll give you the special knowledge of God and they'll open things in your life that you never could imagine. Everything we need is in God's word. But the deceiver wants to pull people away from following God. And so not only does he battle with accusations, but he battles with deception. And he's very good at it. So how do you, church, how do you get ready for battle? How do you get ready for the accusations and the lies and the half-truths and the deception? How do you get ready? Well, first of all, you have to know you're in a battle. You have to know that you're in a battle. Don't be surprised that you have an enemy that wants to destroy you. Jesus was born in the midst of the battle. He was born with Satan waiting to devour him. What makes you think that he's not waiting to devour you? 1 Peter 5, Peter writes and warns us, your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. You may not want to be in a battle, but you are. You're in one right now. You're in a battle. And Christmas reminds us that God's great invasion of the kingdom of darkness has begun, and we are in the midst of it. Many have talked about how World War II is a great illustration of this, when the Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy, and the war really began. Before that, there were all these people living in small French villages, and things were relatively peaceful, but they were under the oppression of the Nazis, the Gestapo. And though there was no war, there was no bullets being fired, things were relatively calm until the Allied forces invaded France and began to push back the forces of the Nazis. And then all war broke out. It got violent and destructive, and people quickly had to realize, I am in the midst of a war, and I better choose whose side I'm on. Pretending we're not in a battle does not do us any we have to realize that we are in a battle. That's the reality we're in as the people of God. But to live in that reality, you have to know how to fight the battle. It doesn't just help to be in the battle. You've got to have the right strategy. Peter goes on to say in verse 9, resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the whole world. 
Resist means to stand against. It means to say, I am an enemy of that person over there, and anything that they're about, I declare war against them. To resist means to declare that you are an enemy of Satan and that you have aligned yourself with Jesus Christ. But then he also says, be firm in the faith or stand firm in the faith. And that means to understand the gospel. Some people get really crazy about uh, spiritual warfare, not realizing that the root of everything, all the power that we have in Jesus is in what he's done for us in his cross and in his resurrection and in his ascension. We're to be deeply rooted in the good news of Jesus and all that he has done for us and his authority over all things and all people, including Satan. Resist him, but stand firm in the good news of what Christ has done for you. And this is really the root, the foundation of how we do battle. This is how we win. Look what this says about our victory. In 10b through 11, it says, The accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives to the point of death. How do we conquer? The blood of the Lamb. You're not even in there. It's everything about Jesus. Satan loves to accuse you before God, and he had a pretty good case until Jesus died and he shed his blood for you on the cross. Then he no longer had a case because every accusation that Satan brought against you to God, God the Father just pointed to the blood of the Son and said it's now paid for. That person is forgiven. Paul writes in Romans 8, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. See, we are victorious over Satan, not by being good or perfect, but by what has been done for us through Jesus giving his life on the cross on our behalf. Through us being washed clean by his blood. God knows your sin, but your identity is no longer rooted in those sins because Jesus has given you a new identity. So you might ask, well, why? Why do I still have those internal accusations? Like, why do I struggle with constantly fear and shame that people are gonna find out who I am and what I've done and like all the things that I'm insecure about? Why, like, why do I still struggle with those deep accusations in my heart? It's because this, Satan's been thrown out of heaven and God will no longer listen to his accusations because the blood of Jesus has been paid, has paid for all your sins. So Satan now comes to you if God's not going to listen to me, I'm going to go tell them. And here's the, fu the funny thing. We listen to him. We listen to what the deceiver tells us about us. We don't listen to what God says about us. We let him show us our sin and our shame and our insecurities and our guilt, which are all true, but they're not our identity. Our identity is fixed in what Christ has done for us. So when Satan comes to do battle with you and he reminds you of your sin and your shame, admit to it. It's what you're telling me right now. Turn away from it and stand firm in the blood of Jesus. Yes, I sinned, but I repent and the blood of Christ covers me. You're a move. 
The battle strategy for victory is the blood of the Lamb and also the word of their testimony. That means that in the midst of Satan's deception and lies and temptations to sin and the pressure from the culture, you hold on to the good news that changed you. You hold on to the good news that has changed your life and the word of God that is shaping your life. You hold on to that no matter what. Satan loves to deceive us that there's something else better. There's something else out there that we're missing out on. And yes, following Jesus is good some of the times, but if I just, if I just did my own thing, there's a better life out there somewhere. The grass is greener. And he does this through all sorts of ways. He, he tempts us to do things that would make us feel alive for a moment, but would ultimately, ultimately lead to our destruction. He is constantly raising up false teachers in the Jesus' church so that people might be deceived and led astray from the true gospel. But how do you do battle? You hold on to the real gospel, the good news of Jesus that has become your story, your testimony. You hold on to the good news that has changed your life and the word of God that continues to shape your life. And you don't let go. And here's the amazing thing about as you hold on to the good news and you make it your own and you say, I will never let go. As you hold on to it, the good news becomes life itself to you. In other words, it's not like you're white-knuckling it anymore and saying, if I can just hold on to this, then it'll be good. No, it actually becomes good. Everything else becomes secondary, and you go, I must have the gospel in my life, and if I don't, life is not worth living. The temptations are still there. The accusations are still there. But you begin to love Jesus and the good news of Jesus more than life itself because of what he's done for you and because it's become your story. That's what John tells us. They, they did not love their lives to the point of death. In other words, under the threat of death, the people that he's talking about held on to their testimony about Jesus and his shed blood for them because they found more life in the gospel than they did physically living. The, our life is the gospel. And here's the amazing thing. I, I, I wrestle with fears about death. I know that you do too. And, and there's something in our minds that tells us if we die, we're defeated. Jesus was victorious in his death. And if you're in him, then the resurrection he experienced is your resurrection. As surely as he knocked the tomb open and stepped out of the tomb, so will you one day as well. And that is how Satan is conquered. His last-ditch effort is to get you to be terrified of death and deceive you that Jesus' resurrection and his eternal life are not for you somehow. Like somehow you're excluded. But it is for you. It is for you. If you're united with Jesus, you will be raised from the dead after you die. And even in dying, we do not lose. We do not lose to the evil one because Jesus rose from the dead and so will we. And it is in that, living in that, that we have victory. That's the irony of this passage. 
Spiritual warfare isn't about everything we do. It's about standing in what's been done for us through Jesus Christ. We fight the battle by standing firm in him no matter what. Church, you are in a battle because Jesus has invaded the dragon's territory. Church, you are being accused because Jesus died for you. You are tempted to fear death precisely because Jesus defeated death for you. And here's the good news. Jesus came to do battle with the accuser, and he won. Jesus came to do battle with the deceiver, and he won. Jesus came to do battle with death, and he won. So do battle knowing that Jesus has already won. The dragon has received his fatal wound, and he soon will be destroyed. But his tail whips to cause destruction until that time. He is angry, he is vengeful, but he is defeated. And therefore, we are still in a battle. I read a story about some people who moved into a new new area, and in this new area, there were snakes that lived. And in the place they came from, there was not snakes. And lo and behold, they got up one morning, and there was a massive, enormous snake in their kitchen. It had just slithered right through their kitchen door, and it went right through their front door, and it was in their kitchen. And it was longer than the length of a man. Well, they didn't know what to do. They were new to this area. So they called somebody, and one of their neighbors came running out with a machete. And the neighbor went into the house very boldly and bravely and chopped off the head of this massive, enormous snake and came outside victorious. And he said to the, to the people, he's dead, but don't go in there. The snake's body does not know he's dead yet. And he will slither, and he will thrash, and he will destroy your kitchen. And that's exactly what happened. (laughs) Though he was decapitated, the body knocked over furniture and broke windows and banged into walls. It took a while for the snake to realize that it was dead. Satan wants you to struggle with shame, but his head is severed. He tries to tempt you because he only has a moment to live. He wants you to give up in the battle because he is about to be banished forever. And Christmas reminds us that Jesus entered into the battle on our behalf and that life is a battle. But as Paul says in Romans 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask for your power to believe. We ask for your strength to resist and your wisdom and how to stand firm. We pray that you would help us to not be deceived. Help us not to be afraid. Remind us this Christmas season that you entered in to do battle and you won. We pray that you would strengthen us now. Jesus' name. Amen. You can respond by standing and singing. If you'd like to go to the back and write a prayer on the wall, you can do that as well. And I'll be in the back if you need someone to pray for you.